64,000 is the median number of words per book. Average person reads about 200 words per minute. Simple math will tell us that is one book in 320 minutes. To accomplish this in seven days, numbers say you would have to read for 45 minutes a day. Don't forget to subscribe. Hit that notification button, like, comment, and share. Enjoy. Hello, and happy day. How does slowing down sound to you today? Would you like to reduce the noise for just a bit? Are you ready to make a choice and decide to listen? My name is Igor S.F. Walker. I am here to remind people to slow down, to reduce the noise, to walk their lives into a natural flow. Welcome back to the Book of the Week series. Every week, as I read another amazing title, I do share it with the world. Today, we look at the book you wish your parents had read, and your children will be glad that you did, by Philippa Perry. In this video, we look at how we have relationships with our children what gets in the way of a good connection and what can enhance it. It's about how we were brought up and how that has a bearing on how we parent, about the mistakes we'll make, especially those we never wanted to make and what to do about them. We look at the big picture to help you pull back to see what matters and what doesn't and what you can do to help your child be the person that they can be. So stick around till the end. I will share with you some tools I haven't used that will help you tremendously in this game of life. Discover a way to find out what actually motivates you. What innate human need is driving all of your decisions and your behavior. I will share some tools to improve your self-awareness, social awareness, self-management and relationship management. The core of parenting is the relationship you have with your child. The cliché is true. Children do not do what we say. They do what we do. Before we even consider the behavior of our children, it is very useful, it is essential even, to look at their first role models. And one of them is you importance of examining our own inner critic so we do not pass too much of its damaging effects onto the next generation. A child needs warmth and acceptance, physical touch, your physical presence, love plus boundaries, understanding and play with people of all ages, soothing experiences and a lot of your attention and your time. Oh, so that's simple then. The video can end here, except it can't, because things do get in the way. What can get in the way, more than anything, is what was given to us when we ourselves were babies and were children. If we do not look at how we were brought up, the legacy of that, it can come back to bite us. What can get in the way our things are like our own lack of confidence, our pessimism, our defenses which block our feelings, and 
our fear of being overwhelmed by feelings. Or when it comes to specifically relating to our children, it could be what irritates us about them, our expectations for them, our fears for them. We are but a link in a chain stretching back to millennia and forward until who knows when. Now the good news is you can learn to reshape your link and this will improve the life of your children and their children and you can start now. You don't have to do everything that was done to you. You can ditch the things that were unhelpful. It is easy to fall into making instant judgments or assumptions about our emotional reaction without considering that it may be as much to do with what's being triggered in our own background as with what is happening right now. When you do feel anger or any different emotion, including resentment, frustration, envy, disgust, panic, irritation, dread, fear, and so on, in response to something your child has done, it is a good idea to think of it as a warning not a warning that your child or children are necessarily doing anything wrong, but that your own buttons are being pressed. Often the patterns work like this. When you react with anger or another overly charged emotion around your children, it is because it is a way you have learned to defend yourself from feeling what you felt at their age. Outside of your awareness, their behavior is threatening to trigger your own past feelings of despair, of longing, of loneliness, jealousy, or neediness. And so you unknowingly take the easier option. Rather than empathizing with what your child is feeling, you short-circuit to being angry or frustrated or panicked even. Sometimes the feelings from the past that are being re-triggered go back more than one generation. What we can all learn to do to mend the hurt is called rapture and repair. Raptures those times when we misunderstood each other, where we make wrong assumptions, where we hurt someone are inevitably in every important intimate and familiar relationship. It is not the rapture that is so important. It is the repair that matters. The way to make repairs in relationships is firstly by working to change your responses. That is to recognize your triggers and then use that knowledge to react in a different way. What children need is for us to be real and authentic, not perfect. Children do what we do rather than what we say. So if you are in the habit of beating yourself up in your head, your child is liable to adopt the same potentially damaging habit. <clears throat> when you notice how you talk to yourself, it does give you more choice about how you listen to that voice. First recognize the voice. Do not engage with it or argue with it. Instead, treat it like somebody awkward who you cannot shake off if you acknowledge what they have said but without colluding with them by thinking, for example, you are entitled to your opinion. 
Now expand your comfort zone by doing the thing your inner critic says you cannot. You will find more confidence. It is a real thing you can remember when self-doubt creeps in, being aware of the dangers of passing your inner critic on your child, and it will give you an extra incentive to be mindful of it. How we feel about ourselves and how much responsibility we take for how we react to our children are key aspects of parenting that are too often overlooked because it is much easier to focus on instead on our children and their behavior rather than examining how they affect us and then how we in turn affect them. And it is not only how we respond to children that shapes their personality traits and character, but also what they witness and feel in their environment. A large part of how your children go on to feel about themselves and how they interact with others will form in relationship to you and the small circle around you. That is your co-parent, if you have one, siblings, grandparents, paid help, and closed friends. For example, do we bring our appreciation to the people close to us? Or do we dump our anger onto them? These familiar relationships are influential in determining how a child's personality and mental health develop. Children are individuals, but they are a part of a whole system too. If children are preoccupied, if they are worried about their security, their safety, and how they belong, then they're not free to be curious about the wider world. Being curious impact can impact negatively upon how they concentrate and learn. If they're not curious, it does. It can make our children's life pain-free and worry-free. We can do that. We certainly do not want them suffering because we were unlucky of the choice of the person we had a relationship with or because there's a conflict in our closed relationships. But it is impossible to protect them completely. There is no life without angst, unsolved mystery, longing, and loss. <clears throat> How you can make their pain bearable is to be alongside them and with them when they feel it. You need to be present for your child and the people close to you, open and accepting to what they do show you and what they feel. Now, you may not be able to fix their pain, but by being with it, rather than denying it or pushing it away, you can keep them company through it. A good rule of thumb when arguing is to do it with I statements, not you statements. For example, I feel hurt when you do not answer me when you are on your phone, not you are always ignoring me when you're on your phone. I statements. Few of us like to be defined or pigeonholed, especially negatively, by someone else. Now, if you instead describe how and what you hear or see makes you feel, then you're talking about yourself, which is far easier for the other person to hear. Speaking in I statements, not you statements. Owning your own feelings and finding out about and acknowledging the other person's feelings 
or usually the best way to deal with the inevitable differences that do arise in families. Being kind is not about being a victim or being unassertive. Being kind does not mean you do not share your feelings when you are angry. What it does mean explaining how you feel and why, but without blaming or insulting the other person. When someone feels bad in response to something we may have said or done, even unintentionally, it is important to listen and to validate how they feel rather than become defensive. We need to remember that we all experience the same things differently. No one is wrong because their experience is different from what ours would be. Such differences need to be respected rather than causing you to get into arguments as to who is having the right experience. Becoming comfortable with your own emotions, however strong, is the key to being able to contain and soothe your child. If you dismiss your own feelings as unimportant, you would not be able to be an adequate container for your child's emotions. If you become hysterical, you're unable even to contain your own feelings, let alone your child's. You may need to practice dealing with your own emotions, not repressing them or becoming hysterical, but acknowledging how you feel and finding ways of soothing yourself or accepting help from those around you to help you soothe yourself. One way of doing this is to define your feeling rather than yourself. You can do the same for your child. So rather than saying, I am sad, or you are sad, say instead, I feel sad. Or, it looks as though you may be feeling sad. Using this language means you define the feeling rather than identifying with it. This small thing can make a huge difference. Parental guilt does not help us or our children. Acknowledging our errors and making changing does. None of us is perfect and we will make mistakes. It is not the mistake that matters so much. It is how we put them right. The raptures that do cause problems in our relationships with our children and their mental health are only a problem if they are not repaired. If we do realize that pregnancy and parenthood are not projects, they're instead about bringing into a world a person with whom you're going to have a lifelong liking and loving relationship. According to a seminal book first published nearly 30 years ago, but which remains as valid now as it was then, there are two main types of parent, regulators and facilitators. In Psychological Processes of Childbearing, Joan Raphael Lee describes how regulators tend to be more adult-centric and routine-led, whereas facilitators are more, more child-centric and go with the flow of the infant 
rather than trying to get the infant to fit in with them. Now, there are many arguments, customs, traditions, directives, and books taking each side to persuade you that one way or the other is better. But what matters, what really matters, is the facilitator or regulator, adult-centric or child-centric. You are honest with your child and with yourself. This means acknowledging your natural inclinations and your feelings, and it means acknowledging that the way you are is because how you are naturally inclined and how you feel. It's not a matter of being a bad parent or a good parent. Everyone does their best. But if we can make ourselves aware of as many of the affects and beliefs of our culture and our upbringing as we can, then we can make repairs that lead to a more functional way of going forward. The four main styles of forming bonds are secure attachment style, insecure ambivalent attachment style, avoidant attachment style, and dismissive attachment style. What you do want in your baby is to foster a secure attachment style, and to do this it's first worth thinking about the attachment style you had in relation to your caregivers. If you didn't have a secure bond, you will have to be more thoughtful, self-aware, and deliberate about how you are with your baby in order to form a bond that is tuned, attuned, and empathic. Responding then comes natural to you. We know that alcoholics and drug addicts do not make the best parents because their priority is always the substance they are addicted to. So the children are denied a lot of attention they do need. I'd say phone addicts are not so far behind. And I do not recommend playing or checking emails on your phone in front of your child for a long periods of time. Not only will you be depriving them of contact, you will be creating an empty space inside them. And not to be dramatic, but this is the sort of empty space that may make addicts of people later in life when they try to fill it with addictive substances or compulsive activities to stop a feeling of being disconnected, feeling empty, haunting them. You also risk your child becoming addicted to a screen too as a replacement for contact that people do develop in relationships with each other, the more open we are to the other and the more sensitive we can be to the subtleties of glance and gesture, agitation or relaxation, the more we can ward off of unhappiness and despairs in our babies and therefore in ourselves. We can learn to relax and to observe our babies and children, to respect their individual activities and communications and learn from them. It makes parenting, which as you know can feel long and boring in the early months and years, seem less so because it gives it meaning. A child given enough attention, will feel secure. 
One has to be preoccupied with relationships, neither obsessing about them nor feeling uh, I must perform, jump through hoops or charge into pillars to be sure of them. If you do not respond to most of a child's bids for attention, they will make those bids louder or as they get older, naughtier. Although we may be born with a tendency to have a certain temperament, so much of how we habitually feel does develop in relationships with others, emotionally and especially our parents. The more relaxed your child is, probably because they get enough attuned attention, the more their default mood is likely to be relaxed rather than anxious or angry. Like many adults, you may have had to work hard in later life to learn how to relax. As a baby, you got used to be anxious or being lonely or otherwise unsoothed and unmet, and those feelings became a habitual mood for you. I want to stress that, of course, it is okay for your child to feel the whole spectrum of emotions, and they will, but they need to be kept company in all their moods, from tears to smiles and fears and anger. We think we are individuals, but we all affect each other. We are but parts of a system, and the roles we carve out for ourselves will be in reaction to the parts other people play around us. So how well your child behaves or how you behave, it is not in isolation. It is co-created by the people and culture around you, too. How would you describe your behavior? Are you respectful to other human beings all the time? Do you consider their feelings? Does your good behavior go deep, or is it merely manners? Are you pleasant on the surface, but do you then condemn people behind their backs? Do you get stuck in relentment games of one-upmanship? However you behave, you will be teaching your children to behave like that, including any behavior you do not approve of. When we behave well, it is rarely because we want a reward or because we fear punishment. It's because behaving with consideration towards other people comes natural to us. It is because we have learned that collaboration leads to a more harmonious life than opposition does. We don't do favors for other people or consider their feelings because we feel fear punishment if we don't. We help people because we want to make life easier for them. We want our children to act with consideration and empathy towards others rather than being motivated only by the narrower ideas of punishment and material reward. Now, some people believe in paying their children to do chores to teach them. They say the value of money. However, I believe to teach a child the value of money we need to teach them the value of people. Children learn their behavior from how they are treated. They really learn how to say please and thank you when gratitude and respect have been shown to them. They can then embody it. So how can you understand what your child's current inconvenient behavior might mean?
start with thinking about when you are at your worst. I know I'm at my worst when people around me do not understand me and do not even seem to be trying to understand me. I find it a strain to behave well if I need someone's attention and they are ignoring me. I feel stressed when an expectation, a hope, or a plan I have is dashed due to things outside of my control. When I am expected to achieve something I find impossible, or when I am in a situation I can no longer tolerate. Sometimes when we parents are so determined not to do what our authoritarian parents did, we can swing too far in another direction and not give our children any boundaries at all. If you think about it, in those situations we are still behaving more in reaction to our own parents than to the situation we are faced with in the present. So, what is the collaborative method and how does it work? Define the problem by defining yourself. Find out the feelings behind the behavior. The child may need help with this. Validate those feelings. Brainstorm solutions. Follow through, repeating any steps as necessary. And do not judge your child. The important thing here is that as well as the task getting done, you're both being open about how you feel and therefore looking after your relationship and learning how to compromise and problem solve. The real work of parenting is not the tidying. It is being with your children and helping them to develop. The collaborative method helps to develop the essential skills for socialized behavior, which are tolerance for frustration, flexibility, problem-solving skills, and empathy. We cannot protect children from the inevitable bereavements and calamities that life will throw at us and at them, but we can be alongside them and feel with them and help them to contain their feelings when inevitably calamities do happen. As children need the reassurance that they matter, that they are wanted and loved, not just in an occasional word, by being shown the love in how your face lights up when you see them, in the give and take of your interactions, by being included in your life, and by parents allowing themselves the leisure to enjoy their children and enjoy being with them. It is difficult to do this fully if you're holding some information back that affects them. They have the right to know it. The more judgmental you are, the more punitive you are, the more you will stop your child confiding in you. They will still want to please you, to get your approval, but they will do it by putting aside honesty, by putting aside their real self perhaps even at the expense of their mental health. A draconian regime does not turn out good moral citizens, nor is it likely to help them have a mutually rewarding relationship with you, which in turn may jeopardize their ability to form sustaining 
satisfying relationships in life. Losing your temper with your child can traumatize them and close them down. So it's much better to know your limits and to be firm about a boundary before you get to that limit. The boundary is when you stop the behavior and the limit is when you blow a fuse. If the boundary has not been put down, if you pretend that you have worthy reasons for a boundary, you're teaching your children to hide their feelings, their real feelings, behind worthy reasons. This will make communication with them more difficult and they will get good at the game of inventing worthy reasons rather than sharing how they feel. Here's a beautiful quote by Mark Twain. When I was a boy of 14, my father was so ignorant I could hardly stand to have him around. But when I got to be 21, I was astonished at how much the old man had learned in seven years. Number one, define the problem. Number two, find the feelings behind the problem. Number three, brainstorming solutions. Remember, behavior is at its most challenging just before a new behavioral milestone is reached. You put aside any blocks from your own childhood that inhibit your warmth and acceptance, physical touch, physical presence and understanding. You create a safe, harmonious home environment where differences can be worked through safety. You accept your child's need to play with people of all ages, soothing experiences, and a lot of your attention and time. You can see situations from your child's point of view as well as your own. You can help your child's need to find ways to express how they really feel rather than how you wish they felt. And you can validate and attempt to understand their feelings and your own. You do not rush into rescuing them, but help them find their own solutions by allowing them to brainstorm, to come up with answers to their own problems, and not being in rush to tell them what to do. You put down your boundaries by defining yourself rather than telling them what they are like. You accept that you will make mistakes. You can be non-defensive about the mistakes and repair the situation by owning the mistake and making any necessary change. You put aside old dynamics like winning and losing and instead take up cooperation and collaboration. In other words, you treasure your relationship with your child because you know a safe, loving, authentic relationship with you is what they need above all else. And there you have it. The book you wish your parents had read and your children will be glad that you did. Please do help out. It is easy. Simply like this video so more people can enjoy it. Now share it too and spread the word. Do leave a comment and share your thoughts. Subscribe to my channel and stay up to date. And the link to this book is in the description below. 
buy it, read, never stop learning, especially learning about yourself and nature. So gift yourself by taking the free human needs test on my website and find out what actually motivates you, what innate human need is driving all of your decisions and your behavior. And if you feel you are ready to improve your self-awareness, social awareness, self-management, and relationship management even further, do check out my Master of Life Awareness program. The links are in the description below. Thank you. Love and respect.